All right. In Acts 10, uh, everything unfolds out of really one movement, and it's God sending Peter to share Jesus Christ with Cornelius, a man named Cornelius. As we talked about last time, Cornelius is a man who is an outsider in every respect of the word. Um, He's way outside of Jewish society because he's not a Jew. Um, He's part of the invading force of Israel, not very welcome. But but he's he's also, for the most part, before he meets Christ later on in the chapter, he's an outsider to spiritual life. And yet God sends Peter to Cornelius to tell him the good news about Jesus Christ. And that action alone makes one clear point. And the one clear point is that Jesus Christ is not just the Lord of the Jews. He's not just the Messiah of the Jewish nation. Instead, it's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, everyone in it, that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so what God did in in Acts 10 is he introduced a very radical concept. And again, the concept is, look, Jesus Christ, he, he is the savior of all people. God's love is not dependent on gender, religious background, socioeconomic status, Um, joining in his kingdom now. After the cross, it's all about the heart of individuals. Anyone and everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the son of God, they become a child of God. And so it's really, really, really good news, right? Through every age and epoch of man, you know, economies, presidents, it doesn't matter who's in place, what it looks like, Jesus Christ is the Lord of everyone who believes. And that's good news. But again, It is a radical concept, okay? And here's what I mean by radical. Radical means it's really, really, really different, all right? It is a drastic change from the norm. And whenever you use the words like that, like radical and change, you know what that means. It means somebody's not going to like it. And so in Acts 10, the somebody was Peter. Peter was not on board with God when the whole thing started. And then in Acts 11, what Shiloh just read... Well, the others who are not on board is the rest of this brand new church. They are not where God is when it comes to this salvation of all people yet. And so what God is doing in both of these chapters is he is striking at the heart of intolerance, prejudice, um, you know, anything, any, any of those types of scriptures, God is going after prejudice, And that gives us a great opportunity. We should ask this question as we look at the Word of God, right? Because it is a mirror that reflects back. What we ought to ask today is, well, you know, when it comes to this little thing of discrimination and prejudice, is it at all still with us? And when I say us, I don't mean, you know, the us outside the doors. Is it still in the body of Christ? Is it something that still affects the people of God? Now, I'll leave you to answer that question, but I will also, I'll also suggest that somebody kind of answered this for us 53 years ago, um, an obscure man, probably no one's heard of him in the room, Martin Luther King, had a phenomenal quote on this very subject, and Martin Luther King said this. He said, we must face the sad fact that at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, when we stand to sing, in Christ there is no east or west. We stand in the most segregated hour in America. And so what King was saying is, look, at least 53 years ago, these shoes of discrimination, they still fit the church. 
And so what he, is saying, he was saying back then was, church, it's time for some new footwear. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to do some shoe shopping. And that really agrees with what we've read here in Acts 10 and Acts 11. Okay, now, with all that said, I brought you the issue of prejudice up front because I'm not going to deal with it much more today. Um, the reason I'm not is because we hit this really hard last time. I think we all got the point. There were even a few amens out there. So uh, I believe in chapter 11, there is another lesson for the church. And it, it's a little bit under the surface, but I think you're going to see by the time we get to this, this is a strong lesson for the church. It might even be a bigger lesson than the lesson of prejudice. So let's move on now to Acts chapter 11. You've heard it read, and we will just join them in the opening scene. Verse 1. Now, this is a scene that opens in a way that defies modern logic, okay? And here's what I mean. In these days and times, we have a mistaken belief, and the mistaken belief is that the world before technology, it was bleak. It was dark. And, and we say things like, all oh, those poor people who lived before, you know, the, the advent of technology, you know, they had to wait forever for information, right? We say that. Makes sense, you know? We look at what's in our hand, how quickly we can shoot a message up there. We think that. But Acts 11 opens up, and it absolutely defies that because 10 ends, okay? Chapter 10 ends with Peter staying for just a few days, okay? Just a couple of days with a man named Cornelius in Caesarea, and Caesarea is 75 miles away from Jerusalem, okay? Now, we hear 75 miles, we go, hey, no big deal. Take away your car, though, okay? Take away your motorcycle, take away your bus, your train, any other way you travel, 75 miles. It's a huge distance in an age before, you know, all these modern transportation. But look, look at what happens here. Even without internet, the cell phone, television, the Pony Express, Morse code, news of what Peter and Cornelius have just gone through reaches Jerusalem before Peter even gets home. Think about that. And you know the point it makes is that word of mouth has always traveled at the speed of light. Always, okay? Telling somebody something, it, uh, if it's good news, everybody knows it. Uh, oh, if it's bad news, man, people know it before the paint dries on the word bubble over your head. Word of mouth is like lightning. And so what happens to Peter here is he comes back to Jerusalem, and before he can even get in the door and say, honey, I'm home, he finds a very unhappy church waiting for him, okay? Now, let me, let me just explain their unhappiness. When I was growing up, my mother... She, she, every now and then, and it was always well-deserved, my mother used to use a phrase, and the phrase made my blood run cold every time she said it. It unnerved me, and the phrase was, Stephen, I've got a bone to pick with you, all right? Now, my mother is British, and she's actually here today. Um, my mother is British, and that phrase is the Queen's English for, buddy, you are in trouble. And y'all, that's what Peter walks into. He walks in, and the church is saying to him, Peter, we have got a bone to pick with you over Acts 10. We heard you not only went into the home of, a, of, a, of an unclean Gentile, you sat down and you even ate with them. Dude, what were you thinking when you walked all over our traditions, all over our laws, all over our ways of life? And just so we're clear, 
Okay, the people confronting Peter in, this mo- Peter in this moment, they are not malcontents. You know, these, and we all, there's none in this church, but there are some in other churches I hear. You know, people, they just get upset about everything. You know, it doesn't even matter what it is. You know, maybe, maybe a, a word was misspelled or a font was different here, and you got to answer for it. These are not nitpicking malcontents. Th- these folks talking to Peter are also not right-wing legalists, okay? These are not rigid people. This is the newly saved Newly spirit-filled, you know, these are the joyful people we've been reading about, right? Peter's family, his brothers and sisters. And so Peter has only got one option in this moment, and Peter takes it. He pulls a detective, Joe Friday. Does anybody in this room know who Joe Friday is? Please say yes, okay. Joe Friday from Dragnet. I grew up on Dragnet. I, I watched quite a bit of it. And uh, so the, he pulls a Joe Friday. And, and here's, for those of you who never saw Dragnet, Joe Friday, Jack Webb was a detective, everybody's favorite guy. And, but he was real, you know, kind of stern and, and very monotone, had an amazing voice. And Joe would go in after a crime and he'd say, tell me what happened. And the person would start yammering on about all this other stuff. And Joe would stop him every time. And ev- for those of you who saw it, what would Joe say? Just the facts. And it was usually ma'am, right? It was always a woman. Just the facts, ma'am. So that's what Peter does. Peter simply gives the church the facts. He tells them the story. I love seeing so many smiling faces over over that that illustration. Um, But Peter does that. He tells them the story of what happened verbatim. I mean, it reads almost like chapter 10 did, what we have here. And Peter includes four big things that happened. And what he's saying to the church is, here it is. I'll lay it out before you, and I'll let you guys judge. If I'm wrong, show me the error of my my ways. If I deserve to be punished, I'm open for it. And so Peter starts telling them the facts. Issue number one in verses five and six, he says, look, I was praying, and suddenly I had a vision. You know, a large sheet was lowered down from heaven. It was full of all these unclean creatures. That's the first thing that happened. And And then issue number two A voice from heaven said, Peter, get up, kill those creatures, and eat them. And I can imagine Peter saying to the crowd, look, I see the look on your faces. I felt the same way you did. This is troubling. It concerned me. So I answered back to this heavenly voice. I said, look, did you forget I'm Jewish? Okay, we don't do that. Kosher diet. I've never eaten anything like this, and I never will. But the voice then spoke to me and said, Peter... Don't call anything unclean that I've made holy. Take that impure label off of anything that I've blessed and I'm sanctified. Folks, this happened three times, and then the vision ended. Okay, we're only through two of the points, and the church at this moment has got a problem, okay? You know what the problem is? Peter has pulled out the God card, right? He's pulled out the God card on him. I mean, he said, look, this is what God said. This is what God did. You know, I heard a vision, or I didn't heard of it. I saw a vision, and I heard a voice. And, and so the question for us is, how do you argue with God, you know? I mean, we have a joke in the church that says, well, you know, they brought up the God card, and the conversation ended. How do you argue with God? What do you do in a moment like this? Well, the church back in the day had a solution for this, and it was a simple one. When someone claimed to speak for God, they would watch and they would wait with an open heart. 
And if it was God, one of two things would happen, okay? As they, as they heard the message and they waited, either they'd get the inner witness of the Holy Spirit inside. And y'all have heard this before. Someone, someone will speak for God and everything inside of you goes crazy. You just know that you know in your spirit that this is the voice of God. Everything within you goes, oh, this is a holy moment. So you wait for either that or the other thing. You wait for God to prove himself. If this is the Lord, he will back it up. We won't just have to take your word for it, Peter. We will see some kind of heavenly evidence. And we even have an example of that in this chapter. If you, it, I'm not dealing with it today, but in verses 27 through 29, a man named Agabus, one of the greatest biblical names ever. It sounds like he might be Scottish, Agabus. But a man named Agabus stands up and he prophesies a famine. And we know that Agabus is right. We know that he heard from the Lord. How do we know this? A famine followed, okay? So Peter simply proceeds with the story, knowing that if this is God, everyone's going to know it at the end. So, so he's got these two facts out there, and um, he continues. So he says to them, okay, after the voice and after the vision, I was as baffled as you are, but as soon as the vision ended... Three men are at the door, and they're looking for me, and they're from Caesarea. And then suddenly, the voice of God speaks to me again, and it says, Peter, get up and go with these men at once. Without hesitation, it says in some of your Bibles. And so I did, and I found out the third thing here, which is that God had not only been working on me the whole time, God had been working on the other end. I walked into this unclean Gentile's house, right? The guy that, I, you know, that, that I'm being inquisitive about, right? It's not a word I know. But the man you're concerned about, the guy that I have to answer for today, I walked into this man's house, and he told me that an angel, the voice of God had been speaking to him, and, and, and told him to send for me. And he's never heard of me. Send to Joppa for Peter. Folks, what are the odds. Is this God at work or is it not a God at work? But don't answer that question. You don't have to answer it yet because I went on to share with this man the good news of Jesus Christ and every unclean Gentile in the place gets saved. Every one of them confessed Jesus Christ, but don't, don't, don't make your judgment yet. And as the ink is still drying on that, the Holy Spirit falls on them, just like it fell on, off, on all of us. So verse 17, guys, if God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed of the Holy Spirit, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? And that's the end of Peter's story. Pretty cool story, right? Well... Here is the burning lesson for the church today. This is a lesson that is tied to prejudice, but it's actually a lot bigger than prejudice. And here it is. The church in Acts 11, right here in this moment, after Peter's story, together they are standing at the crossroads. In response to Peter's story, they can go one of two ways. If they go one way, it leads to fields that are white with harvest, the church experiences an unbelievable, rich spiritual life together. If they go the other way, you know what they enter into? They enter into a wasteland, a dead end. They'll end up on life support if they are lucky in the best case scenario. That's how big a deal this moment is in Acts 11 when Peter finishes and, and, you know, and, and, and finishes his story here. 
So here is the church. They've got all the facts before them. They have the voice. They have the vision. They have God working on both ends. They have the gift of the Holy Spirit. But they've got a few other facts before them. And one of the facts is they are in error. They are in error about Jesus Christ being Jews only. That's a wrong, wrongly held belief by the church. Jesus is building a church of every color, race, gender, creed, of people unified in love, faith, mission. It is all about the heart of men and women and children responding to him. They have all these facts before them. So the question is, what is the church going to do? You know, the, the, the church in every age says, we are all about the truth, honey. We are, we are a people of the truth. The church back then says the same thing. Jesus Christ is the way and he is the truth in the life. His words are truth. Well, church in Acts 11, Jesus has just told you the truth about how the church is going to be. So the question is, church, can you handle the truth? How will you respond to the truth of Jesus Christ? Acts 11, church, will you hear his voice? Will you embrace his words? Will you follow Jesus Christ when he is going in a direction that is, that is different from the one you used to walk in and the one you planned on walking in? Church, will you do it? That's the question. Isaiah 55, 9, God says this. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and so are my thoughts higher than yours. All right, Acts 11, church, well, God just said, here is my highway, and my highway leads to them. You like the, the word play there, highway, and it's also a road? Anyway, but he, here's the highway. So church, will you rise up, and will you go with God on this higher way, or are you going to stay right here on your own way, which leads to nowhere, or just lead to yourself? Church, what will you do? Rise up and go with God, or stay where you're planted? Revelation 21.5, Jesus says this. says, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Acts 11, church, Jesus has just dropped something very new on you. So here is the new way. Here is the highway. Church, what's it going to be? Are you going to go with Jesus Christ, or are you going to stay with things the way, you know, we've always done them? That's the question. The church is at a crossroads. You know, we, we all celebrate over the passage that says, you know, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Acts 11, church, what's your choice? Freedom, or will you do what, what, what believers, followers of God have done throughout centuries? Make your own spiritual prison camp and, in, and call that life. They are at the crossroads. The church in Acts 11 can either be followers of Christ, or they can become a new generation of Pharisees. The Pharisees in the Gospels, I don't have to preach much about them. We know their story. They're all about isolationism. They're all about elitism. The Pharisees are self-appointed judges of mankind. The Pharisees also believe in the New Testament from context. They believe they have arrived spiritually. Honey, we are there where we ought to be spiritually speaking. That was their belief. But don't miss the irony in the Gospels. They think they're where they're supposed to be. They've spiritually arrived. And yet Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Son of God, their Savior, their Messiah, the love of their lives, 
He comes walking right in front of them, and they can't even recognize who he is. Wow! They could walk down that road in this moment if they're not careful. And I'll tell you this just too about the Pharisees. I'll just throw this in there as well. The Pharisees in the beginning, they actually started out very well. You know, they began with a real devotion for God, a commitment for a life of worship. They really did. They loved the Word of God. There were people who obeyed. But we all know by the time Jesus shows up, something has happened to this group of people that were once so alive, are now so cold, and now so hard, and to quote Jesus now, they're just so dead. What happened to them? Well, I'll tell you what, what I think best describes them is Revelation 2, 2 through 5, where Jesus says this to the church in the end, but wow, does it apply to the Pharisees. He says, I know your deeds, and I know your hard work. That's the Pharisees. You have persevered, you have endured hardship for my name, and you haven't grown weary. That sounds pretty good. That is the Pharisees. He continues, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first, or you've lost your first love. Jesus ends here by saying, consider how far you have fallen and repent. Oh, do the things you did at first. And y'all, that is the heart of Phariseeism, and it is staring, uh, it, it's luring this church to follow it. This is the heart of Phariseeism. It's just that religion and rules choked out their love for God and mankind. Here's another way to think of it, okay? It's kind of like a wall. The Pharisees have spent the last couple of centuries building a wall, and the bricks are their rules, their regulations, and their rituals. They have just built, and, and that's what we read all these rules that they've come up with, just bit by bit, brick by brick, they, they, they build this giant wall of religion, and it is massive by the time Jesus shows up. But the problem that the Pharisees had is that, yeah, they're on one side of the wall, but Jesus is on the other side of the wall. That this is what the Pharisees, that this is their situation in the Gospels. Christ is on the other side of the wall that they've built. So they've only got two options. And the two options are, number one, Ronald Reagan to Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. They can either tear down that wall and follow Jesus, or they can continue with what they're doing. And they continue with what they're doing. They dismiss Jesus. Oh, he can't be the son of God. Oh, you know, here's the standard. Oh, he doesn't fit it at all. So this is what the the church is is looking at. So what what the church in Acts 11 has to realize and what we have to realize in this day and age is that we can become those guys if we're not careful. We can become modern-day Pharisees even now. But the way we avoid that, the way we avoid being those guys is we simply follow Jesus. We follow Christ. We do what he tells us to do. We go where he tells us to go. We love who he says to love. We ingest this word that leads to life. We worship him with all that we are, but there's another key before we can even do that. And the church in Acts 11 models this beautifully, the way they responded to Peter's story. And again, you know what? They could react, oh yeah, how dare you? How dare you infer that we are not on the right track? I mean, they can really react, but listen to what they did. It says, 
when they heard this, meaning Peter's story, when they heard his story, the church had no further objections. That's awesome. They even praised God saying, so then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So do you see what the church did in that moment? The church repented. The church repented. They listened to Peter. They saw that this was God at work, and then they abandoned. They abandoned their ways, and they followed God. They rejoiced at what God was doing. They joined him in it. And that, folks, is repentance. When you discern and discover and you see clearly it's God at work, you just join him in it. You, you ask forgiveness for your error, and you turn in God's direction. I started with the parable of the sower, uh, the sower today in, in Matthew 13 for a reason, because the church in Acts 11 is that final kind of soil. You remember there are four types of soil in, in Acts, uh, 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 Matthew 13. You've got the rocky soil, the hard soil. They are that final soil. They are that soft, rich, hungry, well-watered, nourished soil. When the Word of God falls on that church, man, they just produce righteousness. You know, you, you, you just see the evidence of it. And so Jesus ends that by saying, look, whoever has ears, let them hear. And so the question for the church today is, do we still have ears? Can we hear what God is saying? Can we discover, along with the church in Acts 11, that the health of a church is tied to its ability to follow God? So for the church in this age, as we do a whole lot of different things, and some of it's really cool and amazing and edgy, the question lies before this church today, every church in America and the world, will we follow Jesus into the world and share the good news of the gospel? Will we do that as a church? That's a question. And the second one is, will we then make disciples of those people and teach them to love Jesus Christ? and obey Him with their whole lives and turn their whole lives into worship. Will the church today do that? Now, I said I wasn't going to talk about prejudice much, so I'll end with just a thought on prejudice. When it comes to prejudice, Jesus Christ would have the church united as one. You know, the answer to the question, I've said this before, how many churches are there in Hampton Roads? You know, we could say, well, there's 500, 700. There's there's only one answer spiritually, and the answer is one. There is one church in the Hampton Roads area. Jesus would have us as one. Tonight, we'll demonstrate that. Jesus would not have the church, His church, divided or segregated by racial divisions. He just wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. Uh, he would not have, and this, this is a tough one, I know, He would not have the church divide up over theological differences. Now, you know, we need to stand on the Word of God. The Word of God never changes. What is there? Man, we need to be right there. But some of what happens in church, the organization of church, the way we put leaders together, some of that, some of those are theological inferences. You know what an inference is? It means here's point A, here's point B, and we have to draw a line of logic. And sometimes we don't end up in the same place on the church on, on different theological matters. Now, some of them are important, like I'll just pick a good Presbyterian one and get myself in trouble, but one of them is infant baptism, you know? There, there, there's a good case in Scripture for infant baptism. There's not an ironclad case for infant baptism in Scripture. 
So what do you do with that? Well, what you do is you hold your theology where it's inference, you hold it humbly. You hold it loosely. You realize, you know what? This is important, and this means something. But man, if it isn't clearly spelled out in the Word of God, then it doesn't mean everything. And it should never be a wedge to separate us. And sometimes what happens in the church is I'm, I'm a bigger B Baptist than I am a, a C Christian. Or I'm a capital B Presbyterian and I'm a, a lowercase C. Never, never, never in the church of Jesus Christ. We are one. And then, of course, we should never be divided. And this is why I love KPC. One of the reasons I love y'all so much, we should never be divided by generational differences. You know? I love, I, I enjoy, I really do enjoy, I can, I'm one of these weird, very weird Christians where I can walk into, you know, um, um, a Methodist church where it, where it is old school, man, it's like you walked back in time 100 years ago. I can appreciate every piece of it. The music, the preaching, the liturgy, the, you know, the ancient forms, it's wonderful. I also love watching the young church. Oh my gosh, I love watching them create an experiment. It is, the, it is so much fun to watch all that passion just explode. But at the end of the day, we are one. We are one people, you know? And I aim to be one of those people, if the Lord lets me stay around to 100, just be one of those young old men you love to see coming down the street and say, man, that dude's in love with Jesus. How old is he? He looks like he's 109, but he acts like he's eight, you know, just a child of Jesus. And so I just want to encourage all of y'all with that because this is where the church in Acts 11 is. Sometimes we think, you know, oh, well, the church really lost its way at this period or that period. The church has always faced this incredible draw to take control, to harden up, and it's just simple, sweet, hey, this is the Lord. Yes, Jesus, yes. Come on, realizing that we have one Lord, one Savior, Jesus. He's looking to make one people for himself who confess him as the one true God. Is that good news? Does it make you want to river dance? All right. I wish I could, but nevertheless. So here's how we're going to end. We're going to end with a song. Um, Shiloh, are you here? And I'll give you a minute. We're going we're gonna to play a song. And here's what I want to offer you an opportunity to do. When we hear about the church of Acts and just see their beautiful moment of repentance, one thing that ought to happen in the church is when we see them repent, and if there is anything that stands out about the condition of our hearts so of, you know, sometimes I'm a little prejudiced, you know, sometimes I get a little hard religiously, you know, I've said no to God when I knew it was God. Anytime we see it present in them, it's always an opportunity of the Spirit for us to repent. So we just want to end with a worship song, and it's just an opportunity for you to join in worship and just say, Lord, here's my heart on this issue. God, I, I want to turn in your direction today. So we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. And then we're going to end with something real old school today, if y'all will indulge me. It's a little thing called the Nicene Creed. And yeah, it's really. And, and it is an ancient confession that is said by the church everywhere. And it, it just speaks to our commonalities, our commonly held belief who we know Jesus Christ to be in the life he's called us to. So after this song of, of just repentance, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll end with a creed together, and then, then I will let you go eat lunch. Does that sound good? All right. Uh, prayer people, I'm going to invite y'all forward. If anybody needs prayer today, it's a great opportunity for y'all to come and let somebody agree with you. All right? You guys are a wonderful, wonderful family. I love y'all so much. I love that I can just preach. I love it. All right. Let me pray for Shiloh, and then we'll let y'all... Y'all do this. Father, right now, I thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, I thank you that when we look at the Word of God, we see a church, a, a, a very young church that was very courageous. And Lord, they were bold in taking the gospel to places that were scary. But Lord, they were also bold enough to look in the mirror and say, you know what, Lord, I'm missing it right here. And you don't come to condemn, you come to show me what's missing and then fill it in with your love and your grace and your word. So Lord, right now, we just wanna take a couple of minutes in worship to just turn in your direction any way that we find out that you know we're not heading at true north with you. So Lord, thank you for this, in Christ's name. All right, in just a moment, we're gonna to go to the fellowship hall. And we may, that may even spill out onto the lawn, but we're going to have a reception for Chris and his family, the lovely Greenwoods, get to know them a little better. But we're going to close now with the Nicene Creed. So Harrison, pop that up there for us. We'll see what this looks like on print. All right, here, here's the hint. I'll give you one hint to doing creeds together from someone who's not a master. Pause at the commas, okay? So let's rise and do this together as a congregation. The Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made a man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he arose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian church, an apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. All right. <laughs>